Let me, I want to start with a testimony this morning. I felt to give it. When we talked about the tithes and offerings, um, my brothers and I had a business, and my wife and I were actually going off to do full-time ministry, and uh, my brother and I had a boat business in Alaska. And um, <clears throat> when we got down there, the, we found out that the, one of our boats had sunk, and uh, fortunately, we, the crew got off it. They were in 30-foot seas off of Montague Island at, in the Gulf of Alaska. And uh, our insurance, we thought we were in an area that we were insured. And we found out that we were between areas. And uh, the insurance company dove between in, out in that exit and left us with about a $450,000 debt. And uh, before it was over, we ended up losing <clears throat> everything. We were down to a couple thousand dollars. We lost our home and everything. And the reason I brought that up is that I want to give testimony to Jesus and, and to the tithe, yeah. you know. We actually, um, as I began to pray about this thing that came down, we ended up in court, lost in court. And, uh, but, but the Lord laid on my heart that the tithe was to continue to come in. So I made a purpose in my heart that, that I would tithe, and then any time I took somebody to dinner, I would pick up the tab. And so we didn't have two nickels to rub together, but I stood on God's word. And... Uh, with, within about 14 years, God gave us back everything that we had lost and enough to retire. Now, that's in 14 years. Now, it wasn't without labor, but God's word is true. And, and the reason I, I, I picked up the, the check is that I, I wanted to show God my trust in him and, and, and to be obedient to him. And that I wasn't miserly. I was willing to give more than the tithe. And then to see God step into our lives, gave me a job that, that paid me $6,000 a month, gave me a boat, gave me a business. I was actually running two businesses. And, um, but I don't believe that we'd have come out like that. And I saved my wife out of the deal. You know, she, she stayed with me, which was amazing. Uh, but I don't think that that would have turned out like that had I not honored the Word of God. Amen. So, but after, after 25 years is when we lost the boat. We'd been married for 25 years and I had had a, an a excellent record from financial. And then to have, to lose that boat and be totally without any way of redeeming it except the Word of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Today I want to preach on the cross of Christ. First, let me give you a little uh, idea. <clears throat> Walking with God is like the old Polaroid cameras. How many of you remember a Polaroid camera? It's not, it's not all digital back in the day, you know, but you look through the viewfinder and you saw the picture of what was going to come. And then you pulled it out and peeled the thing off and the developer developed and pretty quick the, the picture would begin to yeah. reveal what you had seen in the viewfinder. 
Walking in Christianity is something like that. Because Jesus looks through the lens and he sees you as perfected as a son and daughter. But, but we are in this process of, of film. And, uh, and sometimes we don't see the picture. You know, we haven't seen it, but, but it's available in the time of prayer. Maybe not all of it at one time. But God will reveal you in your silent time. He will reveal to you what his intent is for your life. Hallelujah. I, um, <clears throat> I wanted to start out talking about the cross of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, uh, Paul says, I was determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul was a an expert in the law. He studied it under Gamil, Gamamliel, which who was the, the best teacher in, of, in, in all of Judaism. So he knew the law. Yeah. He knew it backwards and forwards. He had been uh, born a Jew. He'd been circumcised in the eighth day. He'd followed all of the rod. He said in Acts 22, it says that he was perfect in regards to the law. And yet, he, when he came to the Corinthians, he said, I was determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Now, if the law could have taken uh, Paul to Christ, he'd have been there. He wouldn't have had to get knocked off his horse. Hallelujah. Um, When I came to the Lord, we came, came to the Lord about 45 years ago, and um, we were in the midst of what was called the Jesus Movement, and it was the introduction of gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, and um, it was an amazing thing. Hippies like our pastor Mark, you know, would come in in his overalls and no teaching on uh, in, ever in the Word of God, and yet he would lay hands on people and they would be healed. People would be slain under the Spirit. It was a look forward, just like looking in that Polaroid view camera. And, and then we began to walk in a few things that, that really bother, uh, bothered us. We, we started looking back in for the revelation that came from the Old Testament about Jesus and about the uh, Levitical priesthood and all that. And I think we picked up two things. We picked up first uh, an error in that we saw Jesus as all full of love, but we saw the Father as being stern and judgmental. And we also began to think that there was these great men that brought us this revelation that someday if we were good, and we put something into it, God would accept us, and that we would be anointed of the Spirit. It was just heirs. Um, but, as, but as I look back over my Christian life, and the expectation that we had uh, back in, in the day was that we would see the bringing forth of, of the gifts of the Spirit and the manifestation 
And um, the guys that are my age understand this, that there was something, there was an expectation put in our heart that we would see the manifestation of the glory of God's church. And yet here we are 45, degrees later, uh, 45 years later, and we haven't seen it yet. It is coming. It is coming. Hallelujah. But it, it's not the cross plus something. It is the cross. So, so today I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the fact that, that we need to come out from underneath that legalism and give honor to the cross of Christ. I have a story I tell about my sister, Mary. We grew up here in Alaska, and when she was about eight or nine, ten, something like that, she had polio and began to turn her uh, spine. Polio was quite common back in the 40s and 50s in Alaska, and she happened to catch it. And they sent her to Mount Edgecombe, which at that time was a polio sanitarium. And um, so she was removed from our family, big family, a lot of, lot of interactions. And um, so for three or four years she was down there, they were trying to get her, teach her how to get her back straight so she could live. She's still living. But um, I was so happy when she finally came back and the family was complete. And not only that, but she treated me better than the rest of my sisters. <laughs> so I was just joyful that she came back. She came back when she was about 14 or 15. She was a sophomore or junior in high school in Valdez. And uh, she got to lipping off to the, the old man. And... Uh, the old man told her, I am going to spank you as soon as I get time. And uh, I was so happy and so in love with her being back that I said, no, Dad, spank me. Well, he did that. <laughs> but then he turned around and he spanked my sister, which made the sacrifice that I had made for my sister of lesser value. Hallelujah. I, would, I was willing to take it, but it was my, my sacrifice was denigrated. And I think a lot of times the church, not this church, but universal church, does that with the cross of Christ. Jesus was very purposeful in his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, he didn't, it wasn't, when you read the book, it's not just a history lesson. He was doing things. In the old book of Leviticus in 8.11, I think it is, it talks about taking the blood of the lamb to the altar and sprinkling it seven times on the altar. Did you know that seven different instances Jesus shed blood? Hallelujah. And I, I want to go through those today. The first one was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was tempted in self-preservation. And we are also tempted in self-preservation. So 
he did not yield to it, but he shed blood when he sweat big uh, red drops of blood. We actually sweat them. Broke blood vessels in his head and he sweat, resisting the temptation of self-preservation. So if Jesus paid for that sacrifice, then when we are tempted, we know he knows what was going on. The second time that he was tempted was uh, when they laid the whip to his back. It says, by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. He purchased for us on the cross divine healing. Hallelujah. The, the next time is when they put the thorn of uh, the crown of thorns upon his head. And then they beat it down and the rivers of blood came down his face. Now that is talking about the chastisement of our peace. He took our peace. He took and gave us peace. He shed blood so you and I could walk in peace. The next, the next time that he did is when they pulled the beard from his face. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Just a handful and it bled. Well, that speaks in that society that spoke of dignity and pride. And if you wrestle with dignity and pride, Jesus knows about that and paid for your sin in that. Hallelujah. I think I'm remembering them all. Then the next one, it says that he said that he was bruised for our iniquities. And there, were, there was a uh, garrison of big soldiers, and they would whack them open-handed on the face and see if, see if they could knock him out. Now, these were not men like my little wimpy hands. These are soldiers who could hold a sword for a 12-hour battle. And they smacked our Savior in the face. And they broke all the blood vessels that he bled inside for our iniquities, which are also inside. He was very purposeful about what he did. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I, I deal with iniquities. Every time I get on a, on a commercial fishing boat, my language changes. Because that's the way I grew up. And, but God has redeemed me from that because the Spirit has put his finger on that. So Jason doesn't swear anymore. But Jesus took that. So if your sin is in the area of iniquity, he took that sin and bought it back for you so you could walk in freedom. I think I'm not missing anything. that five. Okay. The next one is when he had the, the uh, nails went in his hands. And he bled, and that was for our transgressions. Yeah. Hallelujah. And the church primarily emphasizes that transition. 
But the wholeness of the cross is that you could walk holy and blameless before the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So whatever sin it is, God, God took it to the cross and shed blood and purchased your redemption in that area. So there's the last one is that when the sword went in and it said blood and water came forth, that blood went on the ground so that it could cry back for innocence, the innocence like Adam's blood. Not, not Adam, like uh, I'm old. Cain and Abel, Abel's blood cried back from the ground. So there's a part of God's blood that, cry, that cries back for the innocent. And then there's also was a water that came forth, which is for cleansing. Yeah. And he, he did all this for us. But, you know, that blood didn't just stay on the ground. It was all collected. When he met Mary in the garden, he says, Don't touch me, I've yet go to my father. That blood was all taken and sprinkled, not on the, 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 the altar that Moses built with hands, but in the heavenly. It was taken to the heavenly. And now when the father looks back, to see you, he sees his son. He sees the blood of his son because it went to the mercy seat and it cleansed the mercy seat of heaven. And you and I have access to that throne. Hallelujah. You see, <clears throat> we don't need to uh, be condemned because of our sin. Because Jesus already bought it back. Yeah. And if we take back and say that it's, it's the cross plus something I do, we denigrate the sacrifice of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You and I... As we, as we look through the Polaroid viewfinder, we see that God sees us called up, not called down. God calls us, uh, sees us as uncontent. He sees us as sons and daughters, righteous sons and daughters. You and I were crucified with Christ. We died with Christ, we were made alive with Christ, and we rose with Christ, and we are seated with him in heavenly places. If we don't walk that way, we allow unbelief and doubt in our lives. Now, it's, it is a marvelous thing that the Lord did. In our flesh, we still have an Adamic nature, yeah. but it's on the cross. Yeah. It's dead, and that sin then cannot be held against it. Hallelujah. That's, that's all in the scripture. The beauty of it comes from Ephesians 3.12. 
where it says, in him we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. If Satan can, think, can get you to think that you need to do something in order to have that access, he can keep the church powerless. Hallelujah. It's, it's, we have to begin to look at the way we follow Christ, not in some mixture of the law and grace, but in grace. There's another translation of that. It says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. One of the things we picked up out of the Old Testament was that God came and visited a person and then left again. But in the New Testament, he came and inhabited, I and my Father will make our abode, our abode in you. We have to change the way we follow God. So much of the church is trying to prove themselves so that God will come visit them. When God says, I will put my spirit within you. Hallelujah. He doesn't say someday you'll be sons. He says, now are we the sons of God, though it doth not yet appear what we shall be. It does not yet appear what we saw in that view camera. But now are we the sons of God. Hallelujah. So, if we're trying to follow God out of a sense of something that we do to please him, you see, God is love. And if God is love, then his nature toward us has to be love. Hallelujah. But if we try to follow him by something that we gen up, something that we do, we allow unbelief in our lives. We allow doubt to come into our lives. So we've, we don't follow God out of trying to please God because we have access to him in our prayer time. Hallelujah. If, if a person tries to follow God out of his, him being able to change his own behavior, then you're like a tortoise. You're carrying your grave on your back all your life. Yeah. Hallelujah. God has not called us to be tortoises, but he's freed us from the grave that we might arise on wings of eagles, that we might see in the spiritual realm Hallelujah. And not be held down by the sin of our life. Hallelujah. I'm going to uh, go to Hebrews and look at a scripture here out of Hebrews 9. 9. Hebrews 9, 9 says... <clears throat> back up here a little bit. He's talking about the law which was a figure for the time then present in which 
were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. If you're walking under the law, your conscience will condemn you. But in 10.22, let's see, let's see, verse 10.1. It says, let us draw near with a pure, a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. That sprinkling of blood that Jesus did on the cross should release our conscience from a sin nature. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a scripture that talks about the Pharisees, how they go across the sea. And they make a proselyte, and then they make him twice the, the son of the, the devil that they were before. If you try to make people operate by their own ability to not to sin, then you've not changed the law. Hallelujah. We have to, as Christians, begin to see that the cross did it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that we are crucified with him, that we died with him, yeah. that he, we were made alive by him, yes. that we rose with him, and that we are seated with him. Amen. That's what's in the viewfinder. That's what's in the viewfinder. Hallelujah. 